millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. And let me turn up the volume on my headphones a little bit because I can't really hear myself. There we go. Hello. Hey, guess what today is? Today is the last uh, time I have to do an earnings call this week or this quarter, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. I, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew by doing, I don't know how many earnings calls we've done to this point, but I. Honestly, I bet off more than I could chew. I should, I should have just picked three or four. Uh, but it's been educational. I've had a lot of fun doing it. And actually, I think I've kind of refined it a little bit. Hopefully you think so too. So it's not as long and as unwieldy as they have been in the past. So, but anyway, uh, not, not a complaint. I actually really love doing these and I love listening to them. So. Uh, but they, they, they do take a while to put together. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, today, which is on Monday, November 28th, I was on the Daily Tech News show and I talked about electric vehicles and first responders. It was a lot of fun. They were very kind and welcoming over there. So I really appreciate their hospitality. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. All right, I have a few more announcements, but I'm going to save those for the end of the show. We're going to jump right into RJ Scaringe, the CEO and founder of Rivian. We're going to jump right into his opening remarks. And I should say that I did a little bit of editing on these, uh, but not too much. His opening remarks are actually quite short. So let's go ahead and jump in. The third quarter was another record for the Rivian team. We produced over 7,300 vehicles across the R1T, R1S, and EDV product lines. Our key focus remains ramping our normal facility to achieve the targeted annual capacity. As part of this progress, we reached a key milestone recently as our second manufacturing shift started producing vehicles. It takes extraordinary coordination to ramp a highly vertically integrated facility of this size, and I'm grateful for all the hard work that's gone into it. We continue to see strong demand for our products. As of November 7th, we had over 114,000 net pre-orders and reservations for our R1 vehicles. As a reminder, these orders are from the United States and Canada only and are net of deliveries and cancellations. The third quarter was also important for our commercial business. In early September, we announced the signing of an MLU with Mercedes-Benz for a strategic partnership for commercial electric vans in Europe, the world's largest van market. 
We continue to deliver EDVs to Amazon and expand our Fleet OS offering. Amazon has delivered over 5 million packages with the EDVs and is now making deliveries in over 100 cities. Every two weeks, I spend a few days driving uh, the EDV as my daily driver. It's, it's a great way for me to personally experience what the drivers of these vans actually experience. You know, everything from the seating position to the unique pocket door to the overall vehicle dynamics, it, it's a really exciting package. And at stoplights or parking lots, the enthusiasm I get to see firsthand from folks that are that are seeing it for the first time or asking questions about it, it's it's really exciting and, and we're happy to be able to help raise the bar for electrifying logistics. As we continue to look for opportunities to scale our platforms, production and technologies in capital efficient ways, we're strategically investing in our in-house technologies, which will enable differentiated product performance and capabilities while also delivering structural cost advantages. Our in-house software capabilities allow us to be agile and provide customers with an improved experience. On the hardware side, we're excited to ramp production of our fully in-house drive unit. The Enduro production lines are coming to life now. It's great to see not only the vertically integrated motor, but also the design of our manufacturing lines. In early 2023, we plan to introduce the Enduro motor and our first LFP battery pack into the commercial van line in normal. These changes will enable optimized performance at a significantly lower cost. It's imperative that we get the introduction of these new technologies right so we've allocated meaningful time to quality loops and process checks in the first quarter. We are excited about the progress our teams are making across future vehicles and technologies, as well as improving the performance and cost of our current offerings. While we haven't shown any of our future products yet, I couldn't be more excited about the work happening on our next platform. The smaller size of this platform is enabling some wonderfully unique products, and we are looking forward to be able to show these to the world. I am so blown away how short this was. Normally, they just go on and on and on, and I have to cut so much of it out. I didn't cut all that much out. His whole opening remarks was only like five minutes long. It wasn't too bad. Uh, let's see here. Let's talk about some things that he touched on. Rivian has 114,000 pre-orders, and right now, a according to their third quarter numbers, they're producing right around... 561 vehicles a week. Like they produced 7,300 vehicles in the quarter. So based on 561 vehicles a week, we're looking at like 200 plus weeks, just 203 weeks, uh, just to get through that pre-order. Now that that's not going to, it's not going to take that long because they're going to ramp up production. They're going to get faster and they're going to build more and they'll clear the queue out in a, Maybe not a reasonable amount of time, but faster than 203 weeks. Next thing he touched on was the Mercedes Commercial Electric MOU. An MOU is a Memorandum of Understanding. It's kind of a a verbal agreement plus. Uh, it doesn't mean that they either company has to do anything. This just means they're kind of in talks and they're both acting in good faith. And of course, I'm not a lawyer. That's just how I understand it. I am looking forward to seeing the smaller and more affordable line of the R12. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're not going to get that till 2026, and we'll hear about that later. For now, let's hear from Claire McDonough, Rivian's CFO. During the third quarter, we produced over 7,300 vehicles and delivered nearly 6,600 vehicles which was the primary driver of the $536 million of revenue we generated. 
we recorded negative gross profit of $917 million in the third quarter. We continue to be impacted by the high fixed cost structure associated with running high volume production lines at low volumes while we ramp. In addition, similar to prior quarters, gross profit for the quarter was also impacted by the inflation of our raw materials as well as supply chain challenges, which caused the need for expedited shipping. Operating expenses grew by an approximate $160 million as compared to the same quarter last year. The primary driver of this increase is stock-based compensation expense, which we did not recognize prior to our, our November 2021 IPO. When looking at our operating expense this past quarter versus the second quarter of 2022, we saw a nearly $150 million decrease. Our Q3 operating expenses reflect our ongoing prioritization of investment in our core in vehicle technologies and customer experience, while continuing to drive additional focus and cost optimization across the business. We remain confident in our ability to fund operations with cash on hand through 2025, excluding the impact of our investment in the contemplated joint venture with Mercedes-Benz. We continue to work with the State of Georgia and the Joint Development Authority on our second domestic production facility. We are adjusting the timeline for launching the R2 platform and expect it will launch in 2026. We expect the R2 platform will unlock a massive global market expansion opportunity for Rivian and are excited about the development work that's underway. We are also reaffirming our 2022 full-year guidance of 25,000 total vehicles produced. The supply chain continues to be our largest source of uncertainty as we continue to ramp production. We've experienced five days of production downtime in October and November due to a lack of supply of a key component which limited our quarter-to-date production. In the fourth quarter of 2022, we expect the in-transit time from rail shipments, coupled with an increase in volumes from the ramp of our second shift towards the end of the quarter, will cause a significant discrepancy between production and deliveries. Man, I will be happy when supply chain issues are no longer an issue. Holy cow. I don't have much more to say on that. Again, this was an edited clip, but she didn't talk for all that long. It was actually quite a manageable opening remarks. So thank you, Claire. I really appreciate that. Let's go ahead and jump into our analyst questions. Our first question is about Rivian's MOU with Mercedes. Let's go ahead and listen in. On the Mercedes um, JV, I just wonder if you give us an update there. I mean, I think a a skeptic could say, hey, listen, you know, you, you would have been able to enter and be successful in the European market ultimately on your own over time, just given your, your product. But an optimist might say, hey, listen, that opens up that market that much faster and provides, you know, more robust growth, um, you know, sooner. Um, you're just curious if you can kind of maybe, you know, couch the, the direction there on optim- optimist versus skeptic and any uh, any other updates you might be able to give us there. Sure, John. Um, yeah, Mercedes is, uh, in terms of a partner and, and someone to be looking at, uh, how do we accelerate electrification you know, faster, uh, there's very much aligned mentality, aligned mentality around the need to electrify, aligned mentality on uh, how we think about products and the position of products and the execution of products. So it's a it's a relationship and a partnership that we're working towards that we think can allow both sides to, to accomplish more together. Uh, ultimately, uh, as we think about this and as we look at this market, 
uh, it is a it is an important uh, and large space for the commercial van space in Europe. And uh, we felt we felt Mercedes was a great partner to be looking at this with. I, I don't know about you, but Mercedes Sprinter vans are all over the place where I live. Like I see them everywhere. And sometimes you can view, confuse them with like a Dodge because Dodge has a similar type style van. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of them here. And it makes sense for Rivian and Mercedes to partner together. I don't know what that actually looks like in terms of how that partnership plays out, what role each one plays. I would imagine that Rivian would supply the electric, uh, the, the underpinnings of the EV, but who knows? Maybe they just build something all together new. Um, the thing that excites me about this is my father-in-law has one of those sprinter van style RVs. He's, he's a single guy. He travels a lot in his his vehicle but one of the things that kind of holds him back from traveling more is the cost of gas it's not a diesel his is a gas uh powered one and gas is very expensive and he's he's retired he's on a fixed budget an electric rv might allow someone like him to travel more of course the rv itself is going to cost more which put it out of other people's price ranges i don't know (laughs) I can think of one good thing and one bad thing about this deal. Um, I'm just going to shut up. And the next clip we're going to listen to is about the R2 platform. And wait, no, it's not. The next clip we're going to listen to is about uh, where Rivian is getting their customers from. Let's go ahead and listen to that. On on reservations, can you tell us where, give us an update on where you're getting your customers from what they're um, what they currently drive, and then same thing for your deliveries, just to kind of get a sense how many are coming from Tesla or trucker SUV owners. Uh, any any other color there would be great. Thanks. Sure, Adam. It, you know, one of the things we we targeted in developing the products, you know, in thinking about R1T and R1S, these are really flagship products that uh, introduce the brand, really open the brand umbrella for us to over time add additional products and. Because of that, we wanted them to be pulling the, the target state, I should say, was to be pulling customers from a broad spectrum of vehicle formats and form factors as well as brands. And sitting here today, we now have the actuals to look at how we did relative to target state. And we're, we're really pleased that we do have a really diverse set of customers. So certainly customers are coming out of, um, you know, some customers are coming out of Tesla's, but, but really there's no single brand that represents uh, a significant percentage of our overall demand. But I would want to add a couple of really important metrics, the, the first of which is the vast majority of our customers, um, you know, close to close to 90% uh, do not currently own an EV, meaning uh, most of our customers are new EV customers, which is really important from a mission point of view, because it means the, the brand, the products we've created, uh, you know, it's helping, you know, we're helping to create new EV customers. We're driving that transition. And the second uh, is the number of customers that uh, are you know, buying a, an R1T that haven't owned a pickup before. Uh, that's a you know, well over a majority of the customers haven't owned a pickup before, and they're they're being introduced to it through a very different uh, type of pickup. Of course, uh, something that's very lifestyle focused. Uh, in a similar sense, um, the R1S is, is in many cases folks are moving into it uh, as a as a three row SUV as something they've aspired to but haven't been able to make that jump before. In many cases, because of, of desires around efficiency and 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 what we can deliver in, in a full size you know three row SUV with something that's great on road and off road, 
uh, it's really pulling in a broad spectrum of customers. I'm actually quite surprised that 90% of their customers are new EV owners. I would have guessed a much smaller number than that. But don't get me wrong, I think this is great. This this is this is a really positive metric for EV adoption. And uh, you throw into the fact that I don't think Rivian's necessarily a household name. Uh, this is this is awesome. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our next question, which is about the R2 platform and why the delay from 2025 to 2026. This time it's really that thing that we're going to talk about. Let's listen. Um, on the R2 um, and the delay um, to 2026 um, from 2025 previously, can you talk a bit about what's changed there and, and maybe also how this changes, uh, if at all, your investment plans um, for the peri- period up to 2025? Uh, sure, Charles. This, this doesn't represent a, a material change in the product by any means. This is really reflective of um, making sure that the production site is prepared. We have the appropriate amount of time to go through uh, the ramp-up phase, uh, leveraging a lot of lessons learned as we've gone through the ramp of the R1P, the R1S, the EDB 700, and the EDB 500 over the last 12 months. Uh, so those, those ramps have informed you know, our thinking on making sure that we uh, we have as, as close to a flawless ramp as possible with R2. Um, now, in terms of investment dollars, um, we're you know one of the things Claire and I spend a lot of time with with our with the teams on is is working very hard to to push off um, payments on some of the capex as much as we can. But ultimately, some of these things require us to spend over the course of next year and of course into into 2024 as well. I mean, that makes sense. I may not like it. Like, I want all these EVs to come out now. I'm a very impatient person. So knowing that I have to wait until 2026 is uh, really disappointing to me. I don't want to wait that long. All right. Our next question was about Rivian's latest recall, which is a torque fastener recall in the suspension system and how the service department performed. Hey, uh, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, just quickly, uh, you recently had a recall, and I'm curious if you could share your thoughts on how your service department performed and how you see those facilities and personnel ramping over the next 12 months. Thanks. Thanks, George. Just as a point of background, we had a recall uh, for a, a torque fastener uh, in uh, one of our suspension components. And it called for a, a inspection and, and tightening, which the, the operation takes a, a couple of minutes on, on a vehicle. And this was a really remarkable opportunity for us to demonstrate the, the benefit and the value of, of a direct service network. Uh, so we today have completed uh, that operation on 83% of our fleet uh, with a, about 10% line of sight to another 10% that's currently scheduled. So the speed at which we were able to very rapidly address this across the entire fleet and to do it you know, moments after the decision was made to, to, to do this voluntary recall, to have our service leadership immediately working on deploying this and, you know, within hours, uh, providing, you know, performing these first, uh, you know, first inspections and operations. And then as you just heard me say, within weeks, uh, to have, uh, now over 83% of the vehicles complete is really uh, something we're proud of, and and our customers saw that as well. Uh, and the ease at which uh, the process 
the, the process was for customers was, was great, uh, where we could go to their homes, where we could go to their places of business. In some cases, they would come into service locations, but we tried to make it as seamless as possible. And, and ultimately, um, I think the, the transparency in which we handled the situation uh, was appreciated by our customers. By all accounts, or all the accounts that I saw, Rivian handled this very well. Like, they actually, in some cases, went out to people's residences or place of work to fix this. It only takes a couple minutes to fix it. They're just tightening the screw to spec, tightening the bolt to spec. Um, yeah, I, I think as a... As a, as a test of a service department, I think it's a pretty low bar to succeed. I mean, I'm glad they succeeded. But if you think about it, there's not very many Art Rivians out there in the world right now. Um, and this is a simple fix. There's nothing complicated about it. Uh, I would expect them to knock this out of the park. If they didn't, I'd be really concerned. So dealing with tens of thousands of cars is not the same thing. And I don't even think there's tens of thousands out there, but that's not the same thing as dealing with millions of cars, totally different scenario, but I don't want to diminish uh, what they've done because they, they really could have fluffed it and messed it all up and they didn't. So by the way, this is going to be a future show topic. Thanks to listener Darwin, Darwin, just so you know, I haven't forgot about you. I just haven't done a very good job of communicating. And with that, we come to our last analyst question, which is all about the Inflation Reduction Act and LFP benefits long term. That's lithium iron phosphate benefits for Rivian vehicles long term. IRA was pretty new after the when you were last reported. Just trying to get your, your latest thoughts. You mentioned LFP um, and that's sort of hitting early next year. There's a little uncertainty around how that might impact LFP since so much is sort of from Chinese suppliers and the rules are pretty tough there. Do you still think LFP makes sense um, longer term? And also on the commercial credit side, I mean, how does that work with some of your customers? Do, are they going to capture most of the, the credit benefit or are you able to kind of get some of that back uh, to your margin? With regards to LFP, um this is a cell, just to speak to it broadly, as a chemistry, it works really well in vehicles that require high cycle life. Uh, so vehicles that see lots of charge discharge cycles um, relative to a high nickel cell. And so commercial applications are, are really a perfect application from a cycle life point of view. Um, further, the, the lower volumetric energy density associated with an LFP cell uh, fits nicely into a vehicle that's physically large because you have the space to fit the pack, uh, to, you know, to achieve enough energy storage, uh, but, but to do it in a, in a slightly larger space. So we're, we're quite bullish on LFP. Um, and interestingly, with regards to IRA, uh, there's not, uh, as stringent of requirements for commercial applications of source of cell. And so this is, this is really important. So the, the, the $7,500 credit uh, for low GBW commercial vehicles, low gross vehicle weight commercial vehicles, uh, stands regardless of source of cell. Uh, and as, as we talked about in the last call, uh, the size of those incentives grow as you move into higher gross vehicle weight classes. Um, now the, the second thing I'd point out is we also do believe that the, the supply chain will evolve. The, the inherent benefits I, I you know, referenced at a high level of an LFP chemistry 
for high cycle life applications are real. Uh, they're, they're, they're meaningful advantages. And so we see a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity to make sure there's a, a domestic supply chain for both the production of LFP cells, but also for uh, the cathode active material and as well as some of, some of the other precursor materials. Uh, above and beyond that, of course, uh, by the nature of an LFP cell, you, you remove nickel and you remove cobalt. Um, so from a, an IRA compliance point of view, it's actually an easier chemistry to achieve compliance on, notwithstanding the fact that there's not, as you already pointed out, LFP supply chains for building the cells in the U.S. today. But certainly from a, from a raw material supply point of view, it is an easier sell uh, long-term to, to maintain that compliance. And, and on the commercial credits, I mean, do you, do you think you, your customers will get that benefit? Because I'm not sure some of the best think I feel like there might have been cost-plus arrangements for some of the, the vehicles. Yeah, we believe the, uh, you know, our customers and specifically our, our large commercial customer that we're, we're launching our commercial business with, We'll achieve some of those credits. There's also credits that are um, manufacturer-facing with IRAs. So we're very cognizant of, of managing both sides of those credits, both the consumer or the customer-facing as well as the, the manufacturer-facing. All right. Just in case there's folks out there who don't know this, lithium iron phosphate batteries are cheaper. They're more robust. Like you can charge them from zero to a hundred percent more times than you can charge like a nickel manganese cobalt battery. So the, the great thing about this is they're cheap and they're robust. The downside is they're less energy dense, which is why it's beneficial in a commercial type uh, vehicle, like a commercial delivery van. There's lots of room to throw a bunch of lithium phosphate batteries in there, lithium iron phosphate batteries, because there's there you have the space. All right, everybody, that is it for our show this week. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I hope everybody enjoyed earnings call season. I did say I had a couple of uh, announcements that I would save to the end. Our first announcement is I have a new podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about a music podcast that I was working on a couple months ago, not weeks. I told you about a music podcast that I was working on. Uh, we shopped it around to people to get their opinions, and the answers we got back is, this is too long. <laughs> so we went back to the drawing board, um, and we decided we're just going to do a podcast that lasts between three and ten minutes. We're going to cover one song an interesting fact about the band or the song, why we like it, and then that's it. It's going to be very short, and I'll be able to announce more details on Friday, and I hope you guys like it because I really enjoyed uh, making it with my friend Chris. And then this week, we have a Tesla Semi event. We're going to cover that. If there's if the event is really long, um, it'll just be the Tesla Semi event. If the event uh, is short, uh, I'll throw some news in there as well. And next Tuesday, if everything goes right, we have an interview. I'm not going to say with who, just in case it falls through, but it's scheduled. But, you know, sometimes these things fall through. Uh, but we have an interview with the CEO of a company, and I'm very excited. All right. I've done about seven podcasts in the last four days. My voice is fried. So I'm going to end this here. I hope you all had a wonderful week and I will talk to you on Friday.
All right. Thanks for taking my question.